healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next man. Welcome back to the basement, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting episode of Chunky Blessed the Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. As usual, we are always glad to have you down here. Whether you're new to the show or you, you hang out with us twice a week, it's always it's always a good time, and we're always very, very thankful to have you here. Uh, I want to start this off by saying, first off, I lied to you last Thursday. I got my shit mixed up. It happens. Uh, we're, we're moving at a pace that is so fast and furious that sometimes my dumbass can't read a calendar. So today was supposed to be... Um, Jason Isbell, the Nashville sound. We had a really serious discussion on that one. Uh, and then on Thursday, you were going to get Elder. Uh, turns out that the Nashville sound did not come out on the 12th. Instead, it comes out this Friday. So you guys are going to check out the album when it comes out and then come back and listen to us talk about it on Monday. We like to do these things after they come out for a couple reasons. The main one is we just like to uh, people get acclimated to it. And so generally we find the people that are, uh, are listening to what we have to say are looking for uh, different opinions just to see, maybe validate their own, maybe to get a consensus or whatever, uh, rather than get the new hype on whatever's coming out. And honestly, we don't like doing hype too much. That's kind of boring. That's not what we do. Uh, so I was sitting around and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I was like, oh, fuck, man. My bro dog, my good friend Sean Barna, he just put out an excellent album, Pictures of an Exhibitionist. An excellent fucking album. And uh, a few weeks back, me and my other bro dog, Marcus Dowling, we sat down and talked to Sean while he was here after he played. He played a stellar show here in D.C. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and it was the first time that we've actually had Sean on since the first time, which was way back when he was about to put out his first EP. Now his, his solo, like his LP is here. You can buy it on Bandcamp. You can get it everywhere, and you should. But if you need convincing, uh, first of all, check out the tracks. You're going to have some links in the show notes. You can go listen to it. But I think this is going to be it. Because, uh, you know, we've, we've known Sean on the site, and I've known him personally for almost four years now, three years now. Um, and he's one of the few people... That are, are as crazy about music as as we are, and uh, the difference is is that he he can execute on that flawlessly. He's an amazing musician, uh, one of the, one of the best that I've ever met, and uh, and we've we've talked a lot and I'm friends with a lot. But he is amazing, and uh, somewhere Sean is blushing right now. But at any rate, uh, so that's what we're gonna do. And at the back end of this, because we're gonna keep it like a DC expat. Thing. Sean lives up in Brooklyn now. We're going to play a little track by, uh, I think I'm saying this right, Keely Pruitt-Ham. She has a new album out called, or an EP out called High From Pillows, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that after we talk to Sean. So if you guys are ready, you got your beverage, you are beating the heat, because it is hot as fuck out here in D.C. Uh, let's head on down to the basement. 
chill out with me and Mr. Marcus Dowling talking to our great friend, Sean Barna. single song that'd be, that'd be so funny <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, we're, we're gonna play we're gonna play a, uh, a snippet of every song and you're first gonna of all, I send this to you and, uh, Codeine City apparently it was actually supposed to be Codeine Cody but is it Codeine Cody it's Codeine Cody I like Codeine City I mean name, you can fucking name every song if you want it's not out can all I, can I re- this is a new type of remix can I remix it name it whatever the fuck I want yeah so this album's Sweet. done by you too great <laughs> <laughs> wait we're gonna and, hop some uh, of uh, no, I, I wouldn't do that. Although, uh, I might, I might take off a song or two. I think I'm going to lie and say this was recorded in a garage, like with like an iPhone on GarageBand or something. Well, for, yeah, yeah, it, it yeah, well I'm just going to tell people that. It worked well for Jules. <laughs> Wait, what? It worked well for Jules. You will get the biggest endorsement from Apple. Like, wait, you made it sound like what? Yeah, <laughs> we need a filter that's like a DIY filter. <laughs> <laughs> so once you spend $10,000 on a record, the DIY filter is just a free app on your phone. Yes. It's like just, white noise. I'd like every sentence I speak on this podcast to lose me two friends. Okay. So, oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we, we, we got about an hour, uh, uh, bro, dog. You're not going to lose this friend, man. All right. Not going to lose this friend. Now, last time, last time you did this, last time uh, you and I sat down here uh, to talk seriously, uh, we were but babes in the wilderness in this whole fucking thing. Indeed. You were actually one of our first interviews, and it was like the podcast was we had just sort of come back. And we were trying to figure out what uh, we're trying to do. And you're still fucking hanging around. I don't. I don't like it, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I drink all your beer. You do. You, do, you drink all my beer. You don't have food. You entertain my lady. She likes you more than me. You're like, what the fuck? Well, I'm rich. Yeah, a likable guy. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay by me. No, no I'm um, a tolerable guy. Okay, M- Mr. Sean Barna. Uh, first of all, congratulations on, a, on an amazing show last night. There Thanks. was a uh, uh, haphazardly put together band, as always. And uh, but you you got on drums, you slayed, you moved some people in the audience, and uh, we're here now to talk about uh, an album you put a fuck work into over like, the past two years. Yeah. And uh, so I think we're going to get sort of the in and out of it. And, uh, <laughs> slutty Hulk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the genre, man. Uh, and, and because, so we don't sort of retread stuff, from good friend Marcus Dowling Hello. down here, who I played this album for you, and uh, what was your, your first reaction here? Yo, so okay, the first time I heard this record, right, Uh-oh. I was... <laughs> I, I, I got it from Kevin, and the thing is, when, when Kevin sends me an album, it's like, it was like a, a, a 71% chance that I'm listening to it, like, as soon as he sends it to me. So, we've been talking about you for, like, a good month or two, and he's like, this thing is coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and I'm like, okay. And then, like, you know, like, I run across Maggie, and she's like, it's coming, it's coming, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's two people that I, whose opinions I trust. And then it was like... I heard it, and I was walking down the street. I was walking down 14th Street. I was living on, uh, I was living right off of uh, 14th at this point in my life. So imagine this. Let's get this picture. <laughs> All right. I get out of the, the, the subway at uh, U Street, mm-hmm. Cardozo, and I go down U Street, and then I come down to 14th, 
and I'm walking down 14th Street at, say, like 1.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. When it's like drunk assholes and people shouting at each other and just general, like, kind of like disrepair. And, you know, it's kind of like overcast night. And this album is what I hear. <laughs> that was the longest walk ever. <laughs> I listened to the whole album. And I, I, I walked and I stopped. And I heard, like, sibling tattoos. And I was like, did you say that? <laughs> really? Did I hear the, the words right? And it was cool because it was like, I've been looking for the 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 big Bruce Springsteen esque rock album. There's certain like tropes of records that I look for. Careful, we we only got so much room in this basement for Sean's head. Yeah, no, I'm just telling you. I'm <laughs> no, telling you. I'm being honest. Like, yeah, I look for these. I look for these tropes of music. I'm like, okay, we need a, you know, we need a a, a tropical based song that has reggaeton artists on it. And, you know, it exists. And I'm like, oh, good. There's the thing that I'm looking for. And then I heard this thing, and I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. Well, there's storytelling, and it's winsome and wistful, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm emotionally moved by it. And then I was like, okay. And I listened to it again, and I'm like, yeah, this is legit. And then I told you that it was legit. Yes, you did. And then I mentioned you in the Washington City paper months later. Because Thanks I was that. like, I want to make sure that people understand how legitimate this is. In fact, you are the best of D.C., even though you're not from D.C., Smooth one, Marcus. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I hope you have your job still. Uh, I still do. I still do. Well, it's a DC. It's a DC. I don't know. It was recorded in DC. A lot of these songs. I mean, very specific. New Orleans. It's not about New Orleans. It's about DC. It's a. It's a, a metaphor, maybe with New Orleans, but mm-hmm. more and more, I'm getting into this where I'm using my life and the, the little small disasters of my life as a metaphor for the bigger disasters of the world and vice versa, and kind of just fucking with that timeline, which I certainly do in Straight Motherfuckers. That's what that yeah, song. Yeah. Is. Yes. Uh, it's something I stumbled upon, but New Orleans is maybe my first experience with that. I wrote that song in 2000, uh, I think 2012, in about 20 minutes. But I recently rewrote all the lyrics when I actually recorded it. But it's a DC song, it mentioned 17th Street. So, I mean, I can go through all the songs like that, but they're very much, I think, rooted here. This is where I started writing songs. Yeah. Um, Funny Stories is about a club on 17th Street. Um yeah, I mean, Assassins in my... They're, it's a DC record well, in a lot of No, ways. Assassins is, is a little older, though, right? Assassins. So, so, so the, the, the timeline, is, as I know it, is you uh, you were here, mm-hmm. and then uh, you moved out to L.A. Yes. And then you moved back. Yep, and, and then, then I moved, back, moved to back to L.A. back to L.A. Um, for a while. And I, I remember talking to you about... Uh, this album and these songs. When you first talked, you had this grand vision for a bunch of EPs. Yeah, and Assassins was the second one, correct? Before I realized uh, how much money it was all going to cost. Yes, but yeah, it right. absolutely was. So Assassins in my pocket, Cody and Cody uh, were all part. I wrote those about at the same time. It was October of 2012. We had a big rainstorm on some Saturday. I had just bought a new uh, my new acoustic, which is that Gibson I play, mm-hmm. and uh, Assassins was the first song I wrote on. It's the first time I tried finger picking. And uh, that and In My Pocket were written about the same time. And Cody and Cody, I wrote, and I had uh, bronchitis. Uh, and that was all October 2012. They have, all of them have been updated with better lyrics 
Right. As far right. as I'm concerned. Uh, and I sing them better and I, the melodies have changed and things just cause I've just gotten better. Well, but let's, let's start with Cody and Cody. Cause that's actually my favorite song on the album here. <laughs> Me too. And, and you know, you, there's songs on here. You mentioned sibling tattoos, which is sort of Springsteenian. Uh, I think that might be the best song you've written. Thanks. Um, but cutting Cody is sort of, you know, I, I know you spent some time in Denver. You dig the West, but did, did you concentrate on like internalizing it? Because I hear something like Cody and Cody, and this is like, uh, when the listener, you hear it, this is maybe we'll drop it in here a little bit. It's kind of like a rollicking, like Western adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, I mean, and it commits to it fully. These are to say. See, you have a background in musical theater. To say that these paint uh, pictures or scenes and stuff would be doing an understatement. But there's also uh, you also have a deep love of Bob Dylan. Mm. So, so there's a balance of that. But like, how do you get in a sort of a mood or or to where you're just like, I'm a I'm a cowboy on the range. Uh, that's. So I remember very specifically writing the first version of that song, which is not, the chords are the same, but yeah. nothing else. And it was just, I was really excited because there's a part where I go to um, uh, the the four, the major four of the key. And it, I remember like popping up my voice and I like, feel like, oh, this is a great arrival moment musically. And I had, I had bronchitis. So it was like my lower range sounded normal-ish, but my upper range sounded like radio static because I right. had bronchitis. Right. But I was really excited about it. And I liked it. And then my friend John Murata was like, he's like my artistic director. He reads everything I write and gives me shit about it. But I'm, he's like, I don't know why you like this song. The lyrics aren't very good. And it's just not a very good song. And I was like, no, you're wrong. And then like an hour later, I was just like, fuck, it's not a very good song. And then I was behind the bar at the Coop up here in Columbia mm-hmm. Heights. Yeah. And I had been thinking about, it was kind of came out of like not liking the way that I sing this very like heavy kind of dramatic singing. And that sometimes when I'm performing live, it'll just be more like talk singing or shouting or just like being in the moment singing. Yeah, yeah. And also thinking about talking heads and how he does a lot of this talk singing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, I just had this like general sound in my head and I ended up writing all of the lyrics to the, this version that's on the record behind the bar while I was bartending uh, on the move. As far as the like cowboy thing, I don't know where that came from. Uh, it's probably just because... I've been a drummer for so long, and it's, right. that's a drum track before it's anything else. Yeah, absolutely. All my, all my rhythm parts are written like drum tracks. Yeah, I know, and, and right. it picks up like almost like a Western swing. Yeah. But it, it is an adventure, uh, but it, at the same time, it ends up feeling like a very personal song. It is. Um, Lyrically, and, that song for me is very special because it's it's capturing what it's about very well for me personally, not necessarily for anybody else. But I'm telling a story in a kind of a disjointed... Um, way maybe but it's it's about something specific that happened in midtown la mm-hmm. and it it was a rough night but i kind of turned into it came from a, a lot of these things come from poems first I, I i had a intense experience and then i wrote a really like spoken word poem like real like while i was in my car on the iphone just like stream of consciousness and i turned that into this kind of like upbeat song like if you just listen to right. it it feels nice but it's uh, actually pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, it definitely is. I mean, I mean, as as you've been, because uh, you, you certainly have developed as a songwriter just in like two years. Um, is that um, 
Are, are you finding your method to that? And like you said, turning like your own personal tragedies to be a metaphor for like everyday tragedies with people. I mean, uh, people can really do that sort of ham handedly, ham fistedly. Yeah. And, uh, and can do it where it's, it's, it's okay, but it's like very sad sack. Mm. So it's a, it's a super fine line. Um, but like if you're talking about, that song, or you're talking about sibling tattoos, mm -hmm. which is a song. Uh, there's a couple mentions of your brother, mm -hmm. which we'll uh, talk about in a little bit. Uh, but are you more comfortable just like letting that out now than before? Because I know, I know before when I talked to you a little bit, you're really focused, like you're uh, obsessed with the hold steady, mm -hmm. and really, fo yeah, you're wearing a hold steady shirt, <laughs> and and you're, you're you're focused on that, and you're. Uh, you're worried about writing songs. The, this collection and, and even the scene you performed last night seems like uh, you've become more, maybe a little bit more comfortable with this stuff. Is that right? I, I mean, you keep in mind, I never sang in public until I was 25, I think. Right. And I never wrote any songs until I was 24. And so it's really new. I've been a drummer for, for years and years. What? I swear to God. I mean, that's not a joke. I did not what? sing in public until I was in Berlin. Uh, for four months, and I did an open mic once a week. What I, made you get on stage? In Berlin, or, like, originally when I was a drummer? No, like, when you were in Berlin. Like, that, no, that I didn't know anybody. Okay, so... So I didn't, I didn't know I could sing. I mean, people would like, you know, I'd sing to the radio, and people would right. laugh at me and stuff. Because, you, know, you don't... It's a funny thing, but then... When I... You know what? I, here's the... I mean, Bob Dylan's a great writer. Of course, everyone said that a million yeah. times. You know what Bob Dylan gave to me? And I'm sure he's given this to a million fucking people that if you are honest with what you're doing and you convict, you have conviction about it and honesty, however, that's defined in your particular art or artistry, then nobody can say shit if you're singing basically in tune. But if you, if you're dead serious about what you're doing, mm -hmm. then fuck everybody else. I mean, I've already heard shit about this record. It's not even out yet. And people tell me they don't like it. <laughs> and it's like, well, then you fucking do it. Like, right. I don't care. Like, yeah, this is, like he hates one of the songs in there, but I don't care because I know I, I got it. Right. I, think, yeah. I so got then, it right. Kevin so then, hates that song. So then That's the okay. Time, yeah. So okay. then the second time you got on stage, when there when you knew people, or the first time you got on stage when you actually knew people that were in the room, or you or you were in a, a space where you know you were you lived there, or it was like a communal space for you. What made that happen? Was it related to the first time, or was it just like fuck it, I have to do it? I had a. Uh... I had stopped playing drums, which was my identity for, at that point, about 15 years. And I uh, I got burned out really very seriously and badly uh, in college. And then I kind of worked as a drummer professionally. But, like, drumming every night in a show is different than, like, being a drummer, which means, like, real practice and real yeah. com commitment and watching your diet. And just things you do when you're really serious about something. Right. Um, so I didn't really have an identity. And I was, like, in Berlin reading and clubs and just writing and reading stuff. And writing songs every day, a lot of them are really bad, and I have recordings of them, which I'll never let Kevin hear. And um, <laughs> you can hear them, Marcus. But oh, Kevin can hear them. Um, But you know, a lot of these songs came from there, and even songs that, like a song on my EP, there was a different version of it that I. What happened was there was this thing called Buzz Club. Uh, it was in Neukölln, which is my neighborhood in, in Berlin, and uh, I had been at a, a German class that would meet at a bar, like a free donate what you can German class, yeah. and there was, I met this English guy, Daniel. We said, hey, there's this English-speaking open mic on Sunday nights. You should come. So I went to it uh, for the first time. And it was a lot of comedy, some spoken word, a couple of musicians. 
good, you know, good. It was pre-screened, super key for an open mic, by the way. Right. Otherwise, it's, open mics are the worst thing. Uh, I went a second week. I watched it again, and I was like, you know, I think I can do this. And I said, and I asked the guy Chris. I said, can and Chris and Tim are the hosts. I said, can I uh, do it? And they say, sure, you can go first. You know, great. Nine o'clock, and like everyone's not even there yet. <laughs> I'm singing my really deep songs, and I, you know, you play two songs, and that's it. And nobody says anything. Nobody fucking says anything. I'm just like that has to be the best part: the fact that nobody actually said anything. Yeah, nobody cares. Right. Because, like, in America, like, somebody would have said something, would have been some kind of heckling or some oh, kind of something, yeah. stupid thing that would have, like, I think, yeah. shaken you. But Definitely. Definitely. And then I just did it again. I thought, you know, I think, I think again, it got me through. Like, I thought I was being honest with the lyrics I was writing. And at that time, I thought it was, like, I was impressed with what I was doing because I could feel myself growing quickly as a, as a musician or a songwriter. I guess I'd never been a musician. And um, I just, I don't know. I just, there's something to do. I felt like a part of something, maybe on the ex outside it a little but like this english speaking open mic in berlin was one of the coolest nights of my life you know, i was just felt very free over there i felt relaxed and i felt very free in a way that i didn't feel in dc school over there was easier i was doing a, a semester abroad here it was at georgetown which is yeah. really hard right and over there i had less classes i was just in a really good state of mind to like put be you know take a risk sometimes you can't take a risk because you you know you can't handle like if it doesn't work out but other times you take risks and uh, like that certainly releasing like when I released Straight Motherfuckers that was a, yeah. a risk for me because it's a very uncomfortable song and I, I released it I hiked up a mountain <laughs> you and the listener <laughs> tell me about it well I but it's yeah. how I felt I, I released it and didn't like I just put it up and closed Facebook and then I hiked a mountain like 10,000 feet in uh, Mount Baldy in, in LA and then is it Mount Baldy? Um, that might be in Colorado. Anyway, I, I don't know. But anyway, my, I, I, I hiked them out, and then I came back down, and there were like 90 messages. My grandmother was like, are you okay? And all this yeah. sick, serious like concern. And I was like, oh, you finally get it. I'm not kidding. So anyway, taking risks it usually pays off because you always grow. But I don't know what made me do it the second time, I guess is my answer, just because I had to, I guess. Well, yeah, you just, like, I guess at that point, it's like, well, I did it once. Nobody That's died. the thing is you just, you, you can't you, like half-ass it to you because you're going to be worse. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah, cause my whole thing is I always say is like nobody died, right? And once you realize nobody died, it's like oh, well, all right, right, cool. And the other thing is like I have videos of this shit, by the way, uh-huh. of like these things, and I it wasn't good. <laughs> it never is. Never is. It never is. Like you, you have that thing where it's like as a creative, I live inside my head. Oh sure. And I'm like, and in my head, I think, oh, all of this shit is amazing. It must no. be the most incredible thing I've ever done. <laughs> then sometimes, like, this is why as a writer, I like having editors. Kevin, having edited my work, will understand this. Like, what I'm about to say, he'll laugh out loud. Like, the things, I'll, 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 I'll write it, and I'll edit it myself, and I'll edit it again. Then I send it out into the world. And then there's, like, this, like, pregnant pause. And it's a little too long always. Nobody's comfortable. Right. And then it's like, okay. And, and everybody will take out the double adjective every yeah, exactly, time. exactly. Right. And then I get it back, and it's like, boom. And I'm like, oh, my. Well, okay. You're reviewing a different album all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah like, it's not yeah, I'm like, yeah. wow, I just, that was not good. And then it's like, and, and I mean, it's, it's funny because it's like, I've gotten better with that. Like, over time, you know, like, you as an artist, I'm sure you've feel like you've gotten better obviously yeah. as an artist over time but there's that first thing where you're like you have to like and I'll, this gets to a question like there's a thing where like you're living in your head so much and then there's a point where i think as an artist you're like present and i think that this album for me represents when it comes to your career a space where you're fully like present mm-hmm. in what you're doing more so than ever is that like a fair statement or am i am i completely off base no i think it i think that's right because 
it took a long time. So some of the songs are old, but the thing is that I, because they were old, I would, as I went in the process, I would update the songs. Like, right. I'm not afraid to rewrite literally every lyric. Like Cody and right. Cody is, those are the newest lyrics in one of the oldest songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I maintain the presence. And also, you know, all this is about any art really is about point of view. Do you have a point of view? If not, right. No, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. But also like the skill of, in the case of songwriting is honing in on that point of view and, and figuring out how to uh, get to it, get to the center of it. And, and is that the skill in writing or skill in songwriting? I think I think any any art really, any, any, any creative. Yeah. I think the point of view is a matter. As far as like, because because with songwriting you have to, uh, I mean you could you could take you could take anything on this album as a poem, <laughs> and it would make sense. It's interesting. Well, so but but it is, as a songwriter you have to if you choose that form then all of a sudden you have to make it make sense. You have to make it have a beat. Mm. You have to make it. Uh, so people are going to react to it in a visceral way. Sure. Um, weirdly, even if all the craft went into the words, they're going to react to that sound, that mm. noise, before anything else. Yeah. So you have to be able to add that. You know, the only... So I write a lot of bad lyrics, a lot of bad things. The stuff I write that really um, gets to what I'm trying to do is usually done if I'm at a party and I'm feeling very... If I'm at a party, I'm generally feeling very isolated and weird. Right. I I'm a fucking weirdo, but I'll like be leaning against. You'll see me like leaning on my phone. You think I'm texting? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm probably writing like a four page stream of consciousness. Like I don't know if it's a poem or what it would be called, but like that's and I go back and read that stuff, and that's like the real shit. That somehow I just like poke into my like heart, right. soul, or whatever, and then it just comes out on my iPhone. Uh. Or if I'm improvising stuff sometimes, which I'm not particularly great at. But like the end of a love aside, when I wrote that originally, the words were improvised while I was recording it. I just started improvising words. But anyway, I think understanding your point of view in a general sense helps, at least helps me kind of filter what I've written that just isn't getting there. Right. Mm -hmm. Or what sounds like just another generic Americana song versus something that's really getting to some other thing and kind of getting to the truth of the human condition in some little small way, whatever piece of that, that I might do. What, I mean, uh, actually two things. Like, are there, is there anything on here that you don't recognize anymore that you're just like, uh, this is just a thing that I'm going to have to do. It exists. Oh no, 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 there's not, there's nothing that you just sort of move past it. They not in that way. The one thing I will say is that the last song, funny stories, I had written that. That was also going to be on one of those EPs that we had mentioned like, yeah. with Assassins or something. The original project was called Funny Stories. I don't know if you remember that. But uh, that song, I when I recorded it, it was like the last thing we recorded. We had had the track, the backing tracks done without the vocals. And it was like this cool, like kind of like rock jam. It felt really cool. It was more than I ever expected it to be. And it was almost like a rock ballad. And then um, I was in the studio. I was like, all right, well, let's go. Let's record it. And... <laughs> We were in the, the vocals. We were in the middle. We did a take, and I was like, I sort of feel really uneasy. And we did a second take, and in the middle, I just thought, I was so sad when I wrote this. I was so sad. And I started to, like, get emotional in a mm -hmm. way that I do not in the studio. Maybe live, but... And by the end of it, I was trying not to cry so I could get through the take. And then I got through the take, which is the take on here, and... Before I even stopped recording, I just burst into tears and I fell on the ground. And I, this is not something I do a lot, but I, it was just a, it's a very sad, 
an accurate uh, account of how I felt when I wrote it. Um, I wasn't expecting that. So it's not that I had moved past it, but I had not thought about it or performed it. And so then when I did, it was a it was yeah, right, right, extremely right, right, right. visceral. But I mean, are you looking back at it now and be like, fuck, I wish I hadn't written that? Because <laughs> like, I, mean, oh. I mean, you know, uh, it, a lot of your stuff deals with emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, that's a hard thing to relive. That right? song is the, I will not listen to that song. When I listen to this record through, which I'll stop doing once it's out, but before it's out, you're like, is it right or whatever? But uh, I stop after Wood for the Fire. I won't listen to funny stories. Yeah. So to, so that, to that point, you know, what do you think, um, now that you've sort of been doing it, you've developed a little more, what do you think, uh, what do you think you're trying to write about in general? Oh, man. You know, I've got to be honest, this election kind of, I don't know, it kind of changed it. Because when you start writing, you're writing a lot about yourself, you know, you just, right. everyone right. has to go through that. And so all these songs maybe about me. But then, um, I was talking to Franz Nikolai about this at yeah. the Alamo, yeah. and he's like, you know, you're going to get bored of writing about yourself at some fucking point. You're going to have to write about other things. Yes. And I was like, no, no, no. It's not that I'm bored about writing about myself, but... I'm endlessly narcissistic. Right. I mean, I love <laughs> yeah. myself, but no, I don't. Uh, but, <laughs> but I think, you know, you know, uh, I was in LA uh, doing that show before they replaced me, and... um I had this image of my mom sitting on a porch, our porch. And I thought there's more there. There's more there. Uh, and so I wrote a song that will be on whatever I do next. And it is, uh, kind of doing, trying to do what Springsteen does, which is tell other people's stories Mm -hmm. with his point of view, but other people's stories and tell the American story to that. That's what he does. Right. Yeah. He does it in kind of a little bit more of a, not cliche. I mean, it's real. Like I went to work and I'm going to go home and that's my life and my yeah, yeah. hands are dirty or whatever. Yeah. I generally try to get to like the more like the it's sadder like the stuff. Sm- maybe. So the smaller and the sadder. Yeah. I mean, the smaller moments. I mean, cause there's stuff in it's, you're a very specific songwriter. Like the details here are just like leap up. And, and a lot of times it takes a while to like work through this stuff. Like mm-hmm. sibling tattoos as catchy and as awesome a Counting Crows song as that is, um, you know, if you sit down and actually parse it, there's a there's a lot there. There's a lot of meat on the bone. And, uh, like, <laughs> I sort of, when I, when I think about you, like, trying to write and record this shit, I'm just like, God, this must be exhausting for Sean. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm actually pretty upbeat in the uh, studio. The, the drums, I'll do, like, all the songs in a day to a click. And then uh, the vocals take a little longer because I burn my voice out mm. and I I care about it more, which is not good, but that's, uh, I should care about the drums more probably to be perfectly honest. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, trying to get to some bigger, like sibling tattoos is, it's a very sad idea, but nobody's going to know what it's about unless they know me. Right. So right. that's kind of its own little trick. Like, I'm going to write a song that maybe feels good. It's a good driving song. But then if well, you were to actually know what it's and about. And it's about two things that, like, unless they know you, they, they wouldn't know about. So sure. it's just sort of like, yeah. And, and yeah, people aren't going to know you. They're going to hear this wherever and just be like, mm-hmm. whoa, what is, what's going on with this, man? But I hint at it. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't leave it unfigure outable. So you, you have the, the chorus, which is, we need to talk about tattoos, I'll need another drink. Yeah. And then in the bridge, I say, uh, you'll miss our conversations about booze and music and sex and funerals. And it's really funerals that it's about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So I wanted to ask, um, this is a thing that like I've been thinking about when I think about your music and it's like the concept of catharsis and the concept of solution. Hmm. And like, where do you fall between those two in so far as like finding a like resolution in a song? Because I feel like the, the great story songs have a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know? Mm. So, like, there's, like, and you tell stories. So, like, catharsis and solution. And because I know some people feel, like, as story songwriters, like, it's all about catharsis. It's all about, like, cleansing yourself and getting it out, and it exists. And then there's some people that are like, well, I have to create the song so it has a solution. And at the end of the song is, bang, the solution is there. It's like Eminem for I, me is a great rapper in that sense because every single one of his great songs has some solution to it that's like really epic in some definable way that, you know, has ultimately defined his career. But I wanted to ask you about that and like to get a sense of like where you fall in that spectrum. I th- Honestly, Marcus, I think you need to see him live. And I, I don't want to speak out of hand, but I think that's really where it happens for you, right? Yeah. Uh, emotionally, I think writing the songs is one thing. Uh, I think the fun thing, if I ever have any kind of following, I think the fun thing for people will be to see where <laughs> I where I connect. Like, I always connect to the songs. I don't ever feel that I'm disconnected when I'm singing from them, singing them. But there's sometimes when I... I'll get little glimpses of like what I was talking about in funny stories where mm-hmm. I'll think about the lyric and it'll hit me very deeply about what it's actually about. And you can see it come over your face when you're performing live. Yeah. And and I know you've said in the past, some people have like sort of, I don't know if complained is the right word. Probably. Say, Whoa, man, you're getting a little out of hand. Sure. But it, it, it's honestly, at the end of the day, it's absolutely riveting because you haven't just committed to this, uh, to telling this story and reliving any whatever pain, but you keep reliving it. Yeah, I don't think that. So, as far as resolution or catharsis yeah. or whatever, I yeah, it's it is um, for me personally. Like I'm writing these things, and it is a lot of aspects. It's fun to know that I can do this. Like I said, this is a very new thing for me. Relatively, I've been playing yeah. drums for 20 years. I've been writing right. songs for five or six or whatever it is. Yeah, um, and also having a very potent way to talk about things that have bothered me or things that have happened, but also ways to like, you know, I, I mean, every song I, cause it's probably about my brother in the end, right? Like right. fucker died. And so now all this shit is about that. But I, you know, I talk about, it's so funny. Like I just like painted, I don't know what I'm doing really. It's just, I have these things that are happening in these songs or these scenarios or whatever. And then there's always this undercurrent of like, here's what's going on with me. And what's always going on with me is that, you know, my brother died. And so then I always talk about it. So I'd mentioned like, uh, you know, when I talk about a boy, when I say the word boy specifically, I'm usually talking about my brother and it's not resolved. And I talk about uh, in Cody and Cody and I think assassins, I talk about, you know, shaking. Um, yeah. This is when I, uh, it doesn't happen as much now. It, it, It will, if we talk about it for a while, but, um, when I talk about Kyle, my hands would shake. I would be fine, you know, but my hands would be shaking because there's a very deep hurt there, right? And so uh, I use that, having felt that pain, that uh, horrible pain, uh, to empathize with even my own pain in other situations or other people's pain or how fucked up the world might be or whatever. just gives you kind of a greater emotional range. 
uh, of under almost objective understanding, like, oh yeah, this really terrible thing happened, but uh, you're not maybe as, almost even as sad about it as you might be because you're like, oh yeah, but there is another side of it, and you will get through it. But here's that story of what that feels like to go through that. Right. I don't know. I, so I, I don't think it's a resolution. I mean, do you, think, do you think that? Uh, um, because your brother died of cancer, correct? No, he hit by a car. Take, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. I was thirteen. My cousin died of cancer in yeah. October. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, but my brother was 13 I play car. Um when uh which is a lot more sudden than cancer. Yeah, and it was and, and, 13 fucking years old. So. Yeah. And I mean like do you like you said do you use that to does it build in an automatic like extra empathy and what you do with I mean, I I know just from from my experience like almost dying. Hmm. It's, uh, and having a lot of people die in my family and, sure. and stuff. That even though, like, I carry a lot of that stuff around, I also look at stuff in a more, not even just joyful, a more gleeful way. It's like, if it's stuff to think about stuff, I look back like, fuck, that sucks. Mm. But I can take the fact that, okay, it happened, everything goes on, it paints a clearer picture, I guess, of the world. Um, which is a, a way I think people avoid talking about it. Like they they talk about loss, death, anything, and it sort of is a uh, like you're expected to wallow in it forever. Mm. You can do both. Well, you actually you feel bad almost if, at least at first. Do you feel bad if you're not wallowing? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For every, sure. Like every time you smile, it comes with a yeah. Like right. this is fucked up. Like, right. well, but but. Uh, but I think it's a weird thing that comes through in a lot of your uh, your music, uh, that even and sometimes it's very literal. It's very pairing this like these awful emotions with this joyful song and this joyful sound, or even seeing you play live. I mean, that's actually the kicker. I think for for anybody wondering about you, what to see is see you live. Like, like I said, you it, there's no like off nights. If you're doing you. it, you're doing it. You have to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but you know how many you you understand how many people don't get that, right? You can't if you're not willing to be vulnerable. Then, if you're yeah, singing you music doing? like this, get you know, go be a pop person, maybe where you maybe don't have to be vulnerable. I don't know, but like if you're singing this shit that's so personal, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're not gonna be vulnerable. It's just gonna suck. Like even like a love aside, to carry a song like that for six fucking minutes with just a guitar or five minutes, I guess it's how long it is. It's a uh, you know, you really got to be committed to it, and people may like it or won't like it, but you don't want them to say that you weren't in it. You're yeah. phoning it in. Um, to be fair, I listened to it today, and I was like, all right, no, all right, I'm feeling it. Um, you know, I was, I'm trying to think about it. So when something really, there's a terrible tra- tragedy that happens to you, uh-huh. I think what, if it comes with a depression, which even a major surgery can do that. Like, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, I think like physiologically it does that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of depression for anyone who's had it just kind of grays everything. Everything just is dull. All yeah. Of a sudden. But then you'll like be walking down the street and you'll notice that the sky is blue and all of a sudden that intent, the blue of the sky will be so intense. It'll just like make you like yep. emotional because you notice it and it just becomes so, an intense, beautiful experience. And it's so little in it, but all of a sudden it's like hope in that sky and then yep. it'll go away again. You just start to notice little things. Yep. I don't know if just going through something like that trains you to notice beauty in certain things that uh, maybe it wouldn't 
be in, but I, I, I don't know. I think that's maybe where it comes from. Yeah, I think people actually study it. I think it is like, how does stuff like that rewire your brain, your physiology? Yeah. Um, because you're very, I mean, even like Marcus, your mom had cancer. Yeah. Even surviving something like that, that, yeah. uh, I, I don't think I even knew you then, but I think thinking, uh, someone who's close to your mom as you are, yeah. she's going to die rewires you. No, it totally does. Like you get used to the idea and I'm sure you may feel the same way. Having been through loss, you get used to the idea of waking up and contemplating the idea that somebody who is very, very important to you just won't be there. Mm-hmm. And you have to like, if you're inside rewiring your mind, it's like reconfiguring your life. Like in a way, and I mean, I'm sure that you understand this as well, where it's like you do you used to do things one way and every single day you wake up and it's uh, you prepare yourself all the way across to like mm-hmm. do something a very different way. Because you're like, OK, well, and my mom is a is survived cancer twice. The most important one was for me was when I was 13. Like, the summer I was 13, my mom just says, hey, OK, Marcus, like you're going to be a latchkey kid. You're going to learn how to cook, and you're going to learn how to clean this entire apartment up and down, mm. because I might not be here by September, nice. and you're not going to start the school year being here or anywhere, not knowing how to do those things. And I love you, but this is what you have to do. No. And it was like, oh, okay, mm. great. And every single day, it was like I'd wake up, and I like my mom lived right next door to me. So I, you know, her, her room was right next door to mine. So I always look in, make sure she's okay. Like, mm-hmm. mom, you good? Yeah, okay, yeah. good. All right, let's go. But um, I wanted to ask you about um, working with a song and working through emotions. And does it happen simultaneously? Because you've been dealing with these songs for so long at this point. Like, do you see yourself, do you see your growth in every single time that you come back to the lyric and the idea of like removing a lyric to me feels like on some kind of like existential level, like I'm removing this pain and I'm putting this new thing in. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of these, uh, when I write, it's generally Craig Finn said, he said, it's not, he, you know, cause he writes about partying and drinking right. anyone that's a hold steady person. No, he, he writes about, being Catholic. Okay, but, <laughs> yeah, but he yeah, is yeah, yeah, a yeah, metaphor, yeah. right? And it, I yeah. fucking love it. But uh, he said once, uh, you know, he's not writing when he's drunk. He's writing when he's hungover. Right. And I think he means that quite literally. And I, I would as well. But mm-hmm. also taking that further, it's like, I don't find out something really terrible happened or am sad about something and then go write. It's, it's usually a more objective version of me that looks back on it and tries to find... Uh, you know, the, the details that are going to tell the story. Yeah. Like, you know, my cousin died in October. Yeah. Occasionally I will note things now. I'll just write little notes in my phone and that's, uh, I grow those things later. Yeah. But you know, I mean, my cousin is dying, you know, I'm looking at a person dying of cancer and it, that's very sad, of course. Um, but it becomes like a normal human thing. Like I normal in the sense that people die and you're going right. to do that. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I was watching his mom was straightening out his table his table that has his food that he hasn't eaten and his soda that he hasn't drank and making sure it's just tidy because there's yeah. nothing else she can do. Yeah. That's where the story is. It's not yeah, that he's no. dying. I mean, yeah. right. Yeah. Because and that's where it comes. That's how it happens. So, you note little details like that. 
and you bring them back. And that's what, you know, Lucinda Williams, one of my favorites does. She writes little things, little pictures or ideas right. and goes back to them. Uh, Do you study songwriters? In what sense? Or like, I know like you can go in like a Dylan Hall. Um, but I mean, do you actively like sit down and like parse apart every single like a Lucinda Williams song and see, try to figure out if you can figure out what made it work? I do. I've done it. You know, I try not to do that too much because then you will start sounding like them almost, which is not a bad thing for yeah, a while. I don't think but, it's a bad thing at all. But like Lucinda, so she's using pretty, you know, basic chords sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I try not to do that because I find that I end up sounding boring. But I. I am usually listening to lyrics. Like, what are people doing lyrically? Or I'll listen, like, what is somebody doing lyrically? And they're getting away with, like, bullshit. Like, Ryan Adams gets away with phoning in lyrics all the time. You mean the Ryan Adams who has blocked us on Twitter? Here's the thing. Is that when Ryan Adams is, like, you know, I don't know, serious or whatever, like, yeah. he's fucking unbelievable he lyrically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, he sometimes phones shit in. I'm just like, what are you doing? Come Give me something more. Like, why are you phoning right. in? But... And everyone's going to do that, especially when they have a long career, but maybe release less stuff. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> it was 17 albums in six years. You're going to get blocked too. No. 17 You're blocked. You're blocked. He's no, playing very 17 good, right? albums in 16 years. Yeah. That's a lot. Right. It's like yeah. 160 songs. I would do it if I had the money. I just had the money. But, <laughs> but then again, I listen, I listen to some of his stuff and it's great because he's, he's getting to something honestly. But, uh, anyway, as far as studying songwriters, to me, studying someone like Bob Dylan isn't that useful because he he writes in such a, at least early Dylan, he writes in a way that I don't have any concept of this like uh, impressionistic thing that I'm, that's just not how I write. Right. Um, more like I definitely studied like Rufus Wainwright and how he writes lyrics. Interesting. And the um, almost gaudy honesty, which he'll describe a situation, mm -hmm. which sounds like, like flippant almost when he will say something. Uh but then when he wants to break your heart, he'll say something like, be a star and fall down somewhere next to me. And it sounds like a very cliche lyric, but in the song, when he says that, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Right. I don't know. It's just a, yeah. so kind of figuring out what works lyrically. And then Lucinda Williams song, like, oh, why did she cut that? Uh, she, that verse maybe was twice as long yeah. than the first two verses. And what's that about? Or in the case of Lucinda Williams and Dylan, like, I'm just going to do as many verses as I want. And I'm I'm not going to do well, a bridge or whatever. To, to to back it up to something you said, uh, talking about Ryan Adams, mm -hmm. you know about you know, if if you had the money you would do all that. Do you consider yourself prolific at this point? Oh yeah, I just wrote an album since I moved to New York in yeah. January. Yeah. The yeah. only reason I don't have it recorded done done and recorded is because I don't have any money. So so yeah, well, and, and uh, I guess that's that's a good way to get into this. So, uh, you know, you you made this album, you self funded like both yeah. your albums, uh, and. You know, you are, you have a connection to D.C. Um, you have a lot of people, a lot of family here, like family in quotes. Yeah. And uh, you also have a connection to L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, while you're doing a lot of the stuff D.C. is known for DIY, you're very notably not doing a DIY recording. Uh, in fact, like the, your EP was recorded at the Capitol building. It was mixed and mastered there. It was mixed and mastered, I, there. but it was done at uh, uh, what used to be Bomb Shelter Studios. It's right. now called the Fortress, which is Stone Temple Pilots' old studio. Yeah, um, you know, high class mm -hmm. is what I'm is what I'm getting at. And I did it. Uh, you know, one of the nicer local studios here, actually, probably the nicest local studio yeah. here, which is Lighthouse, recording with Peter Larkin. Um, but you know, not it's not DIY, and it's certainly the mixing and mastering was not <laughs> right. 
Right. Do you feel a more of a connection? Because now you're in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, had you lived there before? I lived in Manhattan last time I lived, I lived in, in Manhattan New York. Or that was in 2008. Do you feel more of a connection to any of these places, or do you feel sort of just like a wanderer? Because you also have connections out in like Denver, I believe, in Colorado. Colorado, yeah. Um, yeah. My connections in Colorado are not musical generally. They're just... Um, it's like a, I don't know, it's just this family I had for a year and yeah. we're just all still together in our hearts. But, um, I feel, uh, I feel like a wanderer, not in like a, a good way. Like, I mean, first of all, like making these albums and how much they've cost is like, you know, set me back yeah. in a lot of ways financially, but it's like, you know, you can't ever catch up and like, I'm about to do this tour and I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. And at some point you're just Very like, what? carefully. Yeah. Some point you're just like, what am I doing? I wish I had started writing earlier. The other side of that is probably I wouldn't have, I would have had a lot more worse. I would have started out worse than I did with my EP. My EP was pretty good. And I think it's because I wrote it when I was in my mid twenties and not late teens yeah, or early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you have a master's right in public of policy, public policy. Yeah. And you've done a lot of work in, in political communications. Mm-hmm. We're in a time uh, where that could be, lucrative uh what uh, but i also know from talking to you that you fucking hate doing it well, i hate sitting in offices and i hate this idea that you have to wear a blue button-down shirt to write well right or stuff like that but that being said like when trump got elected i applied for a lot of fucking jobs i had four interviews with the, the biggest anti-gun group in the mm-hmm. country and all this stuff and then they just don't answer and they getting those jobs is hard when you get them you're going to be sitting in a cubicle and you know in my case, I've done a lot of like fundraising writing or or, or hate mail writing where you're just attacking people, mm-hmm. you know, truthfully or not that truthfully. And, <laughs> you know, I just don't like. Can you I make an album? Uh, <laughs> Amazing. I just very like feel very like disconnected from that. Like it's yeah. not when I'm there. It feels very unnatural. Like I'm. Does it does it interfere? Because I, I know a lot of things with, with musicians struggle with is, and, and I was on you about this, and I'll, I'll admit I was probably wrong. About being on you about this, because you were talking about paying for this album. Mm-hmm. And I said, dude, you can get a, basically a sweet-ass job and pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then I saw, honestly, how miserable you were. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, I'm an asshole. Uh, well, because there's something to save for it. But, you yeah. know, I'm bartending now in New York making more than I made at that firm I was working at. Right. So, right. and working less. And meeting people. And moving around. So it's and by the way, moving around cannot be overrated. Like, yeah. moving. Yeah. Moving. Yeah. I'm walking around and moving. But I think that what happens with me in office settings is that I look like I do, which isn't super crazy. Like, I don't have, like, mm-hmm. eye piercings or anything. But, like, long hair, people don't take me that seriously, especially in Washington, D.C. We're like, well, we can't trust him, maybe. I don't know if that's what they think, but it seems that way. Because I want more responsibility, and I don't usually well, get it. it's a conservative it. city. Yeah, and not politically. Day, I mean, it's right. just like a... Like, you know, there's a social conservatism, I think, that people feel like as far left as D.C. will ever go, there's a, an anchor that holds yeah. D.C. in the ground that says... Politics, conservatism, 1984. I know, and, and I just it's don't crazy. feel right. Like, I'm up in New York, and I feel more relaxed, and I feel uh, good, and, you know, I would love to be doing writing for, mm-hmm. you know, marginalized communities, or I'd love to be doing, you know, anything. And I think once I get a little settled, I'll find volunteer ways to do that. Um, but I have written an album already that nobody's heard that I think is going to do a better job at communicating what's wrong right now in society from my point of view than any fundraising email I'm going to write right. threatening a, 
uh, the email list with its final chance to do whatever the hell. Yeah. So to to that, like, what I mean, look, there's we uh, we're in DC, so there's horrible shit going on. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible shit. Uh, I spent a lot of last year asking artists as the lead up to this. Do you feel any responsibility to speak out about it? You have a platform, and I have my opinion. I don't judge people one way or the other, but I'm generally right on that. <laughs> um, but Kevin's uh, always right. Yeah, Marcus is going to lose. <laughs> yeah, Marcus is about to lose. Um, but, Bless you. Bless but, you. But, but so, if uh, we already know one person who was affected by that, Ab, Aaron yeah, Abernathy, absolutely, uh, who, who changed course. He was doing a series of very personal albums, and now he's written a political album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, is this something? Do you have a direct response to that? Like, shit, I need to put that into my art, or, or beyond the just the activist sense that I think all of us on this side of things have. Well, it wasn't a conscious thing. First of all, I started doing it with straight motherfuckers. So, yeah, and that was uh, you know there was a lot of um, you know. There was the shooting. I mean, like they didn't start that year, but you know, all of a sudden there was a lot of public publicizing of uh, shooting of black people, innocent black people, um, and you know that was just in my subconscious. And that song was written stream of consciousness, so it wasn't something I tried to do. It just I was talking about my shitty life as far as saying, well, I'm so sad, and then also like, but hey, here's this other thing going on. But then hey, would you like fries and maybe a salad? Because that's what you're concerned about yeah. in this LA, yeah. you know. So like, you know. You can be killing innocent black people, but I still have to give you your goddamn juice and smile about it. And like that's a tension that there's a song there. So anyway, yeah. that's where that came from, I think. But as far as what's going on now with me, it's not like I'm consciously thinking, oh, I want to write protest songs. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, I kind of can't help it. Like, it's like, anytime I'm like, oh, they broke my heart. It's like, well... What about this other thing that's going on? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of it just seems like almost silly, but um, it's it was not a conscious thing, but it just started to be that everything I was writing took more of that form of I'm still in it very much, but what's happening? And in using again right. point of view, my point of view to be like, here's how I see it. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting to see how that's developing because i've written so much about myself and now writing about other people or other stories or just different things i never thought i would write about yeah um yeah yeah so like i mean like one of the new lyrics i have is a the the chorus is so now i have to dose myself with conversations on race relations i must ask to see your hate face and that's the chorus and it's not the kind of thing i would have written a year ago no but it's it's also catchy as fuck when I actually sing it too. Right. That's not always. That's always great. Yeah. Well, of course. I can talk about yeah. racism and be catchy. That's a winning ticket. I that's, think. That's 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 championship right there. Yeah. But you know, and maybe it won't be as good. But I think if you're not willing to at least uh, use your, what do artists do? They observe. If you're in this fucking world, only observing your broken heart. It better be like a pretty serious relationship you got out of. Because, <laughs> like, well, I, I mean, open I, your goddamn I, I, eyes. I would go further. I mean, I think there's a place for it, and we've talked a lot about it in the past few weeks. Uh, you know, but like, we have, Daria and I have, have canceled events uh, that we were going to simply because it was like peak mediocre white dude. Yeah. And it's not that we don't like that. Uh, everybody loves a great heartbreaker of a song. 
Yeah. It's just like, I think like you said, when you, you start thinking about that and then you think about, but wait, this other thing is act, it, it's actively more important. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think politics, anybody who's here in DC knows this politics has always been important. We're sure. in this because people just did not pay fucking attention, but we're in it now. Mm-hmm. And the same people like our friends, the people on the podcast yeah. or, or have been fighting this for, you know, decades combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, so there's a place for it, and and I'm struggling to find the line. Like, I want to see a really angry political album from you, but I also like this stuff. I gotta tell you, if I had, I, I like your insights. If I had money, and I mean this sincerely, if I had money when that all when the election happened, this album would have immediately stopped, and I would have. Release that. the thing I've I've just written. It wouldn't be this. I mean, the only political thing on here is New Orleans has a little bit, but it's not a political album. It's almost, it seems very anachronistic to me, like immediately out of yeah. date. Okay, as if my music wasn't out of date already. Right. So I want to ask you a question then about, um, and this has been a thing that's been like plaguing me Uh-oh. all year in listening to like, and I, I don't talk about things that plague me very often. I don't. Most people think that I'm like the happiest person to ever live, but that is not the case. I am. Um, especially Kevin knows that because Kevin, <laughs> Kevin spends more time around me than most people do. So, um, <laughs> there's a, there's a thing where like, I listen to these albums. Wait, you guys aren't gay, are you? No. Okay. Thank no, Christ. no. So, uh, so, <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> That's fabulous. All right, sorry. Um, Jesus. How do you party? How? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we're just we're just stepping all over markets. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right, how? Um. Okay. So, like, I've heard I've heard a lot of like terrible attempts at love songs this year. Like Gold Lake has tried to write love love songs that are just bad, and I love, and I like I like Gold Lake as a rapper, but like the love songs just don't work because it's like there's too much like sex and fucking involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Wale has tried to write love songs, like the Chainsmokers tried to write love songs, and there's just they're they're not connective. So like, and I know that part of it is like they're just not like really cut contemplating the idea of like songwriting and this is how we you know like galvanize our force into making a song well i mean i mean baby remember that time i tapped that ass isn't very romantic right exactly but so so, but i mean and so there's also this thing where i think like you're so preoccupied about especially if you're an african-american artist like okay well am i gonna die tomorrow and that that kind of like was overarching and difficult to like deal with so i want to ask like what does it take to write like a good love song now Right now, because every single album that I'm going to hear this year, I know this after 114 days of this man being in office, like I know that I'm going to hear every single political take I ever imagined ever wanted to hear. But what if I want to hear a love song? Is this where we just put on the Paramore album? Yo. Oh, no, 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 but, uh, but, but it's the idea of like, how do you write a love song? Because people need love songs. People need this as much as people need like the political song that activates them and makes them want to be like, you know, politically motivated. People also just need that good love song that says to them that everything's okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I do a lot of love songs. I mean, I love, my love songs are a little fucked up, but... Uh, no, I, I know that, and I think there's something to that. I think there's something in the color of that that's important in, like, where we are right now. So... Because you can't just start a straight for that love song right so now. Wood for the Fire is about... Um, I got a call that one camping. of my... What? What? It's about camping. It's about camping. It's about camping, yeah. <laughs> um, little, little 
gay romp in the woods. But uh, so it's about I got a call that my friend, uh, a friend of mine who's uh, a bit older than me. uh, We don't really know her age, but she's older. And we got a call that she there was something wrong with her and she was sick and she was they didn't know that she felt she was dying. Something was wrong. And she was leaving this town and going up into the woods and not coming back. Uh, that's where she was going to be for the rest of her life. However long that was going to be. And, um, so, uh, me and this person I had just met decided to drive up there. And this person shared in this very intense experience that I was having with all these people that I've known. And they were kind of on the outside. But what I did in that song was focus on little moments that we shared, uh, you know, just to like get through it. So like, um, Talk about um, uh, what the then came the snow on the hill. In the end, it kept us warm. Smelling of smoke, I moved closer to you because the fire gave up too soon. So this is just a little portrait of a thing that happened in the midst of this turmoil, right? Uh, and I think that the answer to your question is going to be in that. Um, in the turmoil, it's still going to come down to. I mean, it, we got to fight, but like we also have to keep in mind that like finding beauty in the stories of, I mean, even just like immigrants that are uh, maybe being persecuted in some way, like telling their story, but like how you experience it with your friends or your, your lover, maybe, I don't know. I think like just describing how you're experiencing these things together. Like I'm writing, it's not a love song, but I have a song I'm not writing. I've written it out, but talk about, um, uh, Jesus, what are the lyrics? So far, when I write them, I don't, and I haven't played them, I don't remember the lyrics, but talking about reducing our uh, serotonin intake. So just like talking about like, we got to deal with, like, yeah, we're in love, but we got to deal like with this. Like our love is here and it's a basis for how whatever resistance we're personally going to uh, go forward with. Like I'm blacked out on this, like, uh, you know, our love, but like how are we going to use that to propel ourselves into this society as useful people? And, you know, that's not a very good explanation, maybe, but I think that if you're going to write love songs, it's about your experience with somebody else. But I think that is now going to be framed to varying degrees. You know, I'm a white male. I'm going to be just fine. But how are you going to define yourself in the in the new society together in a relationship? Of course, that's what, you know, you do it together, so... I don't know if that's a very good answer. No, but. because it's like, because I see this breaking across, like, not just race, but, like, economics and, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, like, just social justice issues and everything. Like, I mean, it's it's a it's a time where, like, that thing sits on every single thing you do. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, like, like when I'm, like, writing, if, if there's not a political take somewhere wedged into something that I'm writing, I feel like I'm failing. Because I feel like there's that's a key part of the narrative, that if I don't give that thing a voice, mm-hmm. then I'm, like selling the piece that I'm writing or the thing that I'm creating short. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I mean, I, that explanation I just gave was like really bad and I'm trying to think about how to put it into words, but like what I'm doing, like, again, it didn't these, I, everything is through lyrics for me, but like one of the new songs I've written, it says, Tina, stay in your lane. It's not medicine. If it takes you out all day, I'm not kidding around. I'm not kidding around. Shit's going down, and I'll need my teeth for conversations on race relations. I must ask to see your hate face. Tina is meth. Yeah. If you're on meth, you lose your teeth. Right. But I need my teeth 
for these conversations where I have to tear into people who think that racism is a problem we used to have or, right. or whatever. Like, you right. know, like it's, you know, like who the fuck am I? I'm just going to have conversations with friends over beers probably. But like just being aware of my position, first of all, yeah. as a, as a white male and like, it's almost like being like, Oh, well now I can't, I can't just sail on the way I've been doing. Now I actually have to deal with, I have to talk about this all the time instead of what I want to be doing or something, you know, just right. trying to be aware and just trying to figure it out. Like I haven't figured it out what I'm supposed to be doing, but it, yeah, I think if it's not in the songs, then, uh, I don't, I don't know. I feel, they feel weird. They feel like they just don't belong right now. Not that you can't write a good song. that has nothing to do with society. Right. It's in its current state, but for me, it's I've definitely, heard tons of them this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I mean, like, wow. There's just the that. stress that people have right now. I think. It's like, should I even be writing songs? Should I be out protesting or, you know, who knows? But yeah. I, I don't really know. No, songs I, are important. I, I would love to record this album, though. I'll tell you that. Hmm? Investors, if you're listening. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... um, uh, This week, especially. This, this this won't come out around this time, but uh, we're just dealing with today, actually, uh, something like the band Power Bottom. Oh, my God. Yeah. And band from Power Bottom... Uh, serious accusations that were not they, they apparently had been coming for a while mm-hmm. uh, he's a serial sexual abuser and a bunch of bad stuff the opening bands have dropped oh, so yeah. the opening, touring band has left the touring yep. band has left um, good right like you know there there is I, I think not to get too deep into this there is a line where uh, don't even try to explain stuff away just accept that you're a shitty human yeah. Um, oh, I mean, but but yeah, my point is is that they were not necessarily doing political songs. They were political in themselves. Sure. Two gay guys they who, who were, who were safe, out. They represented a safe space for right. the entire community of people. And the guy is right. not safe. Like that's which is that's that's was <laughs> their 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 energy. I guess was important in in Trump's America. And now we find out that, uh, you know, well, now uh, like everybody can be bad, and maybe that's not important, or maybe it is. I mean, they're, they're, basically you're talking about a dance track instead of a love song. Right. You know, um, I, I go back to, and this is something we talked about with uh, Kendrick Lamar's album, uh, they've talked to Marcus Moore a good bit about, mm-hmm. uh, since then, about the comparisons to Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. and specifically what's going on. Yeah. Like, and somehow he was able to get both done. Yeah. And sometimes he could be a pretty, like, lascivious. <laughs> like, I mean, what's the, what's the album is like, we're just going to do it, baby. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, doing, the other... There's a beauty in that, too. Like, there, shit's there fucked up. Let's just it's... fuck and then go deal yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's. But, but, but. Yeah. We know, I guess my point is, we know that you can figure out both. I know people are hesitant to step their foot into, like, a political thing because the audience and stuff. And to that point, are you, you know, like, do you consider yourself a lifer now? In Like, music? Yeah. I've tried, I mean, I've tried to the tune of getting a goddamn master's degree yeah. that I can't pay for yeah. to escape music, and I cannot. Yeah. I wrote Cutter Street on my computer at Disney when I was, yeah, with a Diet Coke can filled with, uh, I can't, I think they can sue me, actually, yes, if I say can. so. Uh, we can bleep it out. 
Uh, anyway, it had a lot of Diet Coke in it, at least. But um, yeah. that's good. That's good. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I, you know, I wrote the lyrics that. So when I feel stress, whether it's externally or internally, uh, I I write. So so do, so do you with the, back to the album that's coming out, pictures of, of an exhibition. Exhibitions. Uh, beyond the a financial boon would be very good for you right now. Do you, do you really care that it sells? Uh, you how, you can't really because it's not going to. Well, you don't know that. Well, I mean, okay, maybe something's gonna happen, but you can't like be like, "This is the album that's gonna break me." It's like, yeah. Well, I'm releasing it on my Facebook page. Yeah. I'm not paying a PR firm because I don't have four thousand dollars. Right, and it wouldn't do any good if you did. Right, and I and I haven't like. I don't think I'm making music that people generally consider very relevant to them right now because the type of music that's coming out. I don't know where I fit in the indie rock scene. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't know where this music fits. Sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, wow, I really like this. Is I'm really proud that I did this. And other times I'm like, what the, where the fuck is this going to go? Besides times you worry about it uh, over chat to me, though, do you worry about it? Uh, constantly. Yeah. Do you? Mm-hmm. Why? Because I think I could have done it better or... Um, I, I, you know, yeah, I wish I could like be on the next thing already. You know, I, I want to move faster than I can move. I think I don't mind this album's fine. I just, I guess what bothers me is that this is the only album I'm going to have probably right. for a couple of years because I don't have the money to make the next right, one. Right, right. So I'm kind of like behind. So this one's behind where I want to be. It's kind of grading up against where I am artistically. It's not where I am necessarily. And, you know, that's okay. That's how that's going to be. But um, I'm generally like, I think it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's cool that I pulled it off. (laughs) (laughs) You did, and it's fucking excellent, dude. As far as selling it, I'm not going to probably sell a lot. You know, people don't really buy records. I want people to hear it. You know what I want to do? I want to play shows. I'm going to play 250 shows a year. That's what I want to do. I would love to open for a band. I I just want to play. I asked you about touring. I said, do you really need to do that? And and you, you, the one response, I was like, I'm going to stop giving you shit about it. And he's like, it's so much fun. I was like, God damn it. it. I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, I'll give you a Wally story to make this all make sense for you. Because um, I've been dealing a lot with his career just in the last like week of my life. Just I wrote something and finally people saw it and they're like, oh, you got it. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Great. I don't, I don't get anything. No, no prize or anything. But I got it. Thanks. Okay. So Wally's on album number five. In 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is the first record that the man has put out that is in any way representative of who he is artistically. It took him 75 songs that exist in the universe until he finally started to like hit the point where he's like, this is it. This is me. And he's got the same problem in the fact that this last album, Shine, that's out now. It took him three years because he lost his label deal. Mm-hmm. To put out this record, because it's largely self-funded, like Warner Brothers is doing distribution, but it's largely like him and his like team funding this. And so there's like you know the Chris Brown like thing is on there, and there's a major laser track, and all these things cost money. So it's like you know it's it's hard, and to like do a whole bunch of stuff, you're probably gonna have a whole other album you're gonna do before that, because he had to choose from like thirty songs. Yeah. Before getting like fourteen, mm-hmm. and like he listened to this record, and he thought it was butt trash. 
<laughs> butt trash. <laughs> so it's it's and, and I'm I'm okay with it because I'm like you know if you go through that many songs you go through that many years of like feeling artistically unfulfilled or like doing things that are like good and not great but you feel good yeah, I'm sure you feel good right now but you don't feel great right feel good yeah the fact that i played a show last night and there's not one tonight is actually very difficult for me right well well, that's that's understandable but it's like but that's the thing the thing is is that like it's a process now to me i think the whole industry now is like a process where with every song if you're not getting better like in between the albums Mm -hmm. like with every song you release and everything you write if you don't feel like you're getting better then what are you doing sure because that's the new litmus test now it's not like like the the example is funny because also I've been studying Prince a lot as of late too because we're doing a Prince podcast soon, and it's like another one. Yeah, oh, you got to. Do you know me? <laughs> so okay, so Prince released like ten, like was it nine albums in eight years or something? Some of those did pretty good, right? Exactly. So uh, one or two. But yeah. if you think about it, this man literally every every time Prince wanted to put out an album, Warner Brothers was like. Thank God. Here! Thank God! <laughs> Put it out, make all this money for us. Thank mm-hmm. God. This also Prince stopped making like artistically competitive records. Mm-hmm. Like competitive records. Like you just the make record. artistic records. Right, right. So I mean, there's a difference, you know, when you're making like competitive music. You're like, I must be number one. And it's a different kind of record than like, I just want to make a good good album. Yeah. And that, that you fight with that because it's like, well, maybe I need to find a producer who's going to have more of a modern sound, right? And maybe I don't sing as over the top or as emotionally, or maybe I write more catchy stuff. You know, there that's always there. Yeah. But then I think like I don't even know how to fucking do that. I just have to do what I do. I don't. Right. I mean, I I try to be as good at that as I can. Yeah, and I it's... do want more modern production, just because I want it. You know, like I don't want to drum on my next record because I don't like it very much. I want a different sound, just a different sound. I want to have right. a different right. thing happening. Right, for sure. And like more, maybe more uh, electronic sounds, not like electronic music, but just like other things. Like Right. But yeah, but think about it though. Like the thing, like Prince released like eight albums in like, like nine albums in eight years. Yeah. So like, and like Sign of the Times, which we're doing, is like, he took like a two year gap there and he could have had one record, dropped his entire band, did a whole other record. And then it's like, I'm going to take the best of both of these. So it's like, it's insanity. And, but that's the old model. Yeah. So in this model now, it's like, just, it's the writing and the creating, I think, that's more important than anything. And I, if you feel more confident as a creative, I think that's the victory. And I think also recognizing what your strengths are, not trying to be something you're not. So, you know. But you get that time now, I think. Yeah. As opposed to like, if every single record you had to put out, say, say you were signed to Sony. And every single no record, there. right? And every single record you put out was expected to be top five, with two number one singles in DC or like actually nationally, nationally, oh, globally, fuck. worldwide. Like, like, throw them with Harry like, Styles. Yeah, you got. Come on, yeah. what's the plan, man? Right, you're opening. Oh, I have a plan for that one. <laughs> you, guys both, uh, you guys both get the same hair. Come right. on. So it's like I said, you have to hit top five, and you have two number one singles. You have to have because if you don't have any of that stuff, it's a failure. Yeah. That's a different kind of thing, you know, like, as opposed to, like, I'm going to sit here and, like, do the best work that I can do. Right. That I'm more comfortable there. If I had to create top singles, I would call up one of my good friends in L.A. who's the biggest songwriter in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. Have, 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 you, have you considered Nashville? Nashville? I have actually definitely considered Nashville. Uh, though I will tell you, trying to book shows in that city has... Uh, 
made you put a really bad taste in my mouth. It's really well, it's competitive. Yeah, competing's hard, Sean. It's weird. <laughs> but but I mean, going in as a writer. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but like, I don't think I'm doing. You know, I saw a lot of in Nashville. Is I saw this in L.A. too, but just like people singing their songs and doing like their impression of like a whiskey drinking songwriter. Like yeah. I'm going to do my Justin Towns Earl impression and I'm going to wear this hat. Yep. Uh, oh. but they, the thing with Justin Towns Earl is he actually but, is the real deal. So is his father, but like, they'll be like, they sing about like, they're going to, they're singing their song. And then like, well, and it's the third verse. I better mention whiskey now. Yeah. Yeah. And I just sit there and like, what the, do you have anything to say? Or not Sam Elbaugh. He, he, sings, he sings about bottomless mimosas. Yeah. And it's one of the best songs of the yeah, year. But that's real right now. Bottomless mimosas yeah. are in. Yeah. Whiskey's not that in. I'm yeah. just kidding. No, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's like, there's things you got to say in a, in a Nashville song almost. And I was just, I don't know. I don't really know what to do. I don't know that I'm skilled enough as a songwriter that I could write for other people in a prolific way. Like I have friends that do it. You know, one of my friends, he has, I think, four songs in the top 40 right now, or five. Yeah. And uh, and everything he writes is a guaranteed hit. Which is... Uh, I have no idea I wanted, how he does I it. wanted to ask you about that, because I ask every single musician about this this question, and it started... You were here the first time I asked it. Mm-hmm. I was sitting here with uh, Aaron Abernathy, and I said, okay, so you, you know all of the notes, and you know all of the tones, and you know all of the, like, particular, like, tropes that you can play upon... If you wanted to make 150 million top 10 hits, where do, where's the point where you go, I will not play that note, though I know that if I play this note, that this thing will happen. Because I can think of five songs in the last five decades that have all hit number one and cleaned the whole t- fucking table off mm-hmm. because I do that. What makes you think, okay, I'm not going to play that note, but I'm going to play this note over here that maybe... I, I don't know what it will do, but I feel strongly about it that it will like service this song. I think I have that built in naturally where I'm like, oh, that's too easy. Even like Wood for the Fire, that song, like yeah. the rhythms, it sounds like a normal Americana song. You're just listening to the background, but try and count through it and then tell me about how normal it is. It's not normal, right? Yeah. So uh, I already kind of do that. That being said, if somebody's like, somebody were right now and be like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars to sh- to make that rhythm normal in Wood for the Fire. At this point, like, where I'm at in my early 30s, not able to pay all my bills, sounds pretty nice. But does that money then free me up to make more art the way I want or not? So I don't know. Uh, it gets back to the job thing. How, how much How much does that intrude on being able to do, and how much does it spoil it? I, I think it helps it, because you're moving around, and you're meeting people, you're seeing things, you're observing, yeah, if you're right. just in your fucking house all the time. What I will say, though, is that if I if I could get rid of my graduate student loans, th- then I would not do anything for money ever, probably. But that right. needs to go away before I can yeah. responsibly yeah. say that I wouldn't do that. But, you know, I, it seems so distant to me. I think that any artist that gets picked up by any mid-sized label is getting picked up, I would think, I would hope these days because of what they're doing. And maybe the label might help them refine it, but I would, is this, this totally naive that a label is going to help you get maybe more to the center of what you're trying to do artistically and that's why you're getting signed? It's, it's just naive. If you think about like SZA. It's naive. It's like, like SZA, <laughs> like, like, give me an example. Like SZA wrote Consideration, which is one of the best Rihanna songs of all time. It's an all-time classic. And that song came out 
two years ago. SZA's debut album is slated for fourth quarter of 2017. So between writing this great song, which opened up the door for writing more great songs, Mm -hmm. and not releasing her songs, as an artist, she's here. This song is here. She's currently here. So it's a weird thing, but I mean, I'm artistic happiness, creative happiness. I don't know like where that falls in that, but I mean, it's like when I think about like you specifically as like a person who writes great songs and then there's like this thing you do as an artist, like that's that weird disconnect that you have to like feel okay with. I don't know how I would be anything other than what I'm feeling at the moment. I mean, I can't even have a conversation. Sometimes I have real problems in social situations because I'm unable to, to adjust to the situation or be mm-hmm. uh, different. I, I don't know how to even control it. I have friends that do this stuff very successfully and write for other people. And I've been in the sessions occasionally with like now very, very major writers. And I would be like, yeah, that lyric is just phoning it in. It's garbage. You know, you can do it better by talking about this or that. And that may be where I would be. I think if I were, if I were involved in that kind of situation, maybe writing for other people, it would be for lyrics. It would not be for melody. It would be to make lyrics that suck less. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'm a greatest lyric writer. I just like when I hear cliches, I'm just like, oh god, god. yeah. Uh, you need to listen to Chase Workers podcast that Eduardo mm-hmm. and I did, so you can really appreciate. Oh, I love you guys cornering him on my song. By the way, <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. He's like, I don't know about that warble. And I was with my friend who studies opera. And she's like, yeah, that's just called singing. It's a vibrato. <laughs> and that's it's like if you're gonna sing powerfully and loud. You got to touch the Blarney Stone. You got to do the vibrato. I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't know what that's all about. By the way, I work with all Irish people at this bar in New York, so that's only going to get that's, worse. That's, but. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? It didn't show up last night. That was wild to me. It's all over the I album. Because I have seen you do it, and it's just like, it's all who over the, the fuck album. is this Mick who just rolled into town? <laughs> and like last night, it was just like, oh shit, all right. It's all over the album in a good way. That's yeah. so weird. I, don't, I really don't know what that is. I'm sorry, everyone. Well, if Daria gets home soon, I'll have her explain it to you. I'll re-record all the vocals right now. Set up a mic. Okay. We're good. I have <laughs> We're good. We're good. <laughs> One, we got time. Two, we got time. Three. Uh, when is the, uh, when's the album coming out, Sean? June 9th. I have an album release show in Brooklyn on June 14th at the Gateway. I am touring from that day on. Uh, we'll be playing Songbird Music House on July 2nd. And Excellent. then going back up to New York Rain. for Rockwood on July 3rd. And in between playing a bunch of places on the East Coast. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll be drumming and singing. Maybe I'll be playing guitar and singing. We'll have to see. Maybe you'll get picked up by Craig Finn's tour. Maybe you'll just be standing and singing. I love Craig's new album. I love it. We'll have to talk about that later. Have you listened to it? (laughs) We taped the whole podcast and trashed it. Because we did not love it. But neither here nor there. Um... John, it is always fantastic to see you. You know you have a home here. This is a biased interview. Appreciate you, man. uh, Thank uh, you. And uh, good luck with the album. We'll be talking a lot about it. Hopefully a lot of people will. That that would be nice. I uh, will pay them off, whatever I have to do. We'll string some music. All right, right, bye. He'd had enough That cow
Sean motherfucking Barnum, man. Uh, that guy, uh, he's he's just a soulful dude. If, if, if you want to know why we're all friends with him, it's it's, it's that. Um, some people call him the Prince of Darkness. Uh, he can he can be emotional, and uh, that's okay, folks. It's okay to get emotional, especially over important things uh, like some of the things you heard us talking about. So, uh, thanks to Sean for doing that. He knows he's got a mic down here. Anytime he wants, he shows up from time to time. Less now that he isn't living in D.C., uh, but it's always fun when he comes by. Uh, he's going to be, we're going to remind you about this later, too. He's going to be playing a show in early July at Songbird. I'll put the dates up. It's, it should be in the post when it's coming up. I believe it, I don't know, it's the second, maybe. I don't know, but we're going to be talking about it. We're going to remind you. Maybe we'll have him back on in a little intro uh, that week to shoot the shit and see how his album's doing. And uh, and speaking of that, uh don't don't be a failure at life. Go out and buy the fucking album. It's great. Not only is it great, it helps support uh, artists. Now that he's in in like New York City, the big city, but you know this artist, this album was made by a bunch of DC artists. So uh, if you're listening to this in DC, get off your ass. Give them like five bucks. You'll feel better about it. You support the scene, even if they're they're gone uh, from here. And uh, speaking of people who are gone from here now, a couple years ago. Uh, there's an artist by the name of Kaylee uh, Pruitt-Ham, who, uh, best way to describe her music is sort of folk music, and um, and she was here, like most people here uh, in D.C., for the the politics. She's very active in the politics. She's, uh, not, I don't know if an activist, uh, but working in policy. And, uh, and she went on a camping trip to West Virginia and got bitten by a tick that developed into Lyme disease, and as we all know, uh, Lyme disease is can be crippling. It's not fatal usually, I think, uh, but it can be crippling. In her case, it was. Uh, rather than take it lying down, or rather she did take it lying down, uh, she spent this time where this disease incapacitated her, uh, not just speaking out about uh, health insurance because she found out a lot about that situation, something I can relate to, um, but uh, spent this time creating her art, doing some songs, that uh, that would speak to that and these new struggles that she had. And she started a Patreon, uh, all, all this stuff. Uh, but at any rate, the uh, the EP, High From Pillows, is out now. And it finally came out. In fact, it was put out by uh, our friend Sarah Curtin's label, uh, Local Woman Records, which uh, we need to get her in here to talk about that because that's rad as fuck. Her friend's starting labels up. Uh, but she, I think... Keely is going to be playing a show here soon. We'll check on it. In the meantime, I want you to hear a track from this album. So this is the track we're going to play is Thorns. It sort of directly addresses her her very distinct situation. Uh, so this is Thorns off of High From Pillows. Here you go.
thorns off a hide from pillars from Kaylee Pruittham. Please, people, don't hate me for mispronouncing this, but uh, great song, great little EP, uh, great artist. She's out in Seattle now, but uh, but uh, you know, this is when we talk about a lot of times politics and music, and people say, "Oh, keep your politics out of music." Don't do that. Uh, the uh, your voice is powerful, and it's made more powerful, and and it's subversive as hell too. When you can wrap up this important message in a song, so people start snapping their fingers and, and tapping their toes and dancing along, and all of a sudden they they realize they've been educated, and that's uh, that's a neat trick, and it's a sign of a great songwriter. So uh, go out and get that too. Do do the double whammy. Get get Keeley's album and Sean Barnes at the same time. They're both up on Bandcamp. Um, so do it. That's a podcast for this Monday. Uh, coming up later on the week, like I said, we're going to have a, a discussion of the new Elder album, Reflections of a Floating World. That's a little metal, or maybe it's not metal. We're also uh, in front of that one. You know, we have been uh, a little slacking on the news. And the reason for that is because, honestly, guys, you know, music news, streaming wars pales in comparison to the actual bad shit that's going on in our country right now uh you know with the senate specifically like today the healthcare bill getting rammed through without anybody reading it but uh you know that you can look in the headlines and read about all of that but there is stuff i feel we need to talk about from time to time and so before we talk about elder on thursday I have about a 30 40 minute sort of panel discussion on the state of music journals and the state of the industry it, it was sparked off by a couple of conversations i had with some people uh, about just that, people who are in bands, and uh, it, it's something that we are—we don't have the answers per se. I think we have some of them actually, but um, but it's something we are striving to understand. And if we can facilitate those type of discussions, then uh, uh, damn it, that's what we're going to do. Uh, so we're going to have that coming up, and then on Monday, you'll finally get to hear us talk about Jason Isbell, which is another—that's going to be a great, great conversation. So. Uh, Thank you guys once again for tuning in. We are out of here. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a radio message there. You can hit us on www.chunkyglasses.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those are at Chunky Glasses. If you want to get into our live stuff, Matt Conan and Mauricio Castro are out there almost every single night. Not tonight because, well, at least not Mauricio because Rodrigo and Gabriela shot him down for some reason. I don't know. It happens. You'll be okay, Mauricio. Uh, but all their live stuff is up on uh, Instagram, you can see that, and also on the site to get little recaps and such. Uh, and we're just we're just out there, man. We're out there, and uh, and hopefully you're out there too. And hopefully we see you guys from time to time. That is it. We'll be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. See you soon. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>